0: Hello and welcome to Hear Her Sports, the podcast introducing you to incredible female athletes. I'm your host and producer, Elizabeth Emery. This week, I'm joined by another terrific young athlete, professional show jumper, Gabriella Reuter. What I loved about talking to Gabby was hearing the intimate details of an athlete's preparation. She considers so much on competition day and has created a routine that gets her and her horses to the ring ready. Make sure to stay tuned for her discussion about supporting herself financially in the sport. It's always a special treat to talk money with athletes. None of this is free, of course, and women often have a harder time making a career in sports. We also talk journaling, fitness videos, and a lot of other great stuff. But before we get into it, a few notes to help you understand a bit of sport-specific jargon. FEI is the International Equestrian Federation, the world governing body for jumping, dressage, paradressage, dressage eventing, driving and para-driving, endurance, vaulting and reining. And like all sports federations, the FEI oversee all the major competitions like world championships and the Olympics. I've included in the show notes an image of obstacles, AKA jumps, typical of show jumping. It's a cute drawing illustrating what Gabby briefly describes. Finally, as a reference point for the heights Gabby is jumping, 1.2 meters is roughly four feet, 1.4 meters, about four feet seven, 1.5, 411, 1.6, 52, and the height she mentions in the discussion about Olympics, 1.7 meters, is 5 feet 5. A quick note that our conversation was recorded in late March, just after she had a very successful weekend. Well, that about covers it for now, so let's meet Gabby. Joining me today is equestrian Gabriella Reuter. Gabby was born in Santiago, Chile, and began riding early on at only four years old. When she was 17, she moved to the United States to pursue a career in professional show jumping, and soon after began riding under the guidance of Olympic gold and silver medalist, Chris Kapler. Like so many female athletes, Gabby did not miss out on college. This past December, she earned an undergraduate degree in economics and business studies at NYU. To date, Gabby has multiple top finishes in international FEI classes, from the U25 Grand Prix Divisions to victory in an FEI four-star event. She currently campaigns her two show jumpers, Atticus Diamant, known as Monty, and Maharis Rock, known as Rocky, at the FEI level, and has a number of developing prospects imported from Europe and Chile. Just this past weekend, Gabby and Monty had two incredible wins during this year's Winter Equestrian Festival in Wellington, Florida. They were FEI two-star events at 1.4 meters and 1.45 meters. Her other horse, Rocky, finished in the top three the same weekend in the 30,000 Grand Prix. Her international equestrian CV also includes Spruce Meadows, the Hampton Classic, and several junior young rider South American Games. Gabby has big goals. In 2018, she received her certificate of capability for the Pan American Games following a top three finish in the FEI three-star 1.5 meter. Her sights are now set on the 2023 Pan Am Games, and to one day be the second only woman in history to represent Chile at the Olympic Games. Welcome, Gabriella. I, again, so appreciate you making time to be here on the podcast. It's really exciting to have you here just after your, your wins this weekend. Thank
1: you so much, Elizabeth. I'm very excited to be here.
0: Great. Well, why don't you start by telling us about this weekend?
1: Okay, so it was... Really exciting because this was the last week that I was going to show my two Grand Prix horses in the two-star event. We switched venues. We did it at the stadium. Normally, we show either at the derby field or in the international ring at Palm Beach International Equestrian Center. And this was at the stadium, which rides a little like an indoor feeling. It's a little bit of a smaller feeling ring, so it jumps at you really fast and it's a little it's a little more difficult because you don't have that much time to like catch a breath or anything like that as the ring is smaller so i started my week by showing both of the horses in the 145 speed class in which you have to go as fast as you can while keeping all of the fences up There were uh, 50 something starters, only 49 ended up going at the end. With Monty, my plan was to go and try to win, and with Rocky, just to give her a nice warm up class. And luckily, we did it with Monty and we won the class, and that was really exciting. And then the next day was the qualifier for the Grand Prix, which I did Rocky in, and she qualified with just one fence down, and she was really great. And the next day was a 140 speed power and speed actually were half the courses. You have to keep the fences up and go in the time allowed. And then the other half, it's like a speed. So you have to go as fast as you can while keeping all the fences up. And both of the classes we won were $6,000. So I had to make sure to treat it just as important as the previous class, because even though there were only 10 that ended up participating, it was the same amount of money, same amount of FEI prestige. So I tried to keep reminding myself of that um, while trying to win with Monty, which we did, which was awesome. And then we finished the week with the Grand Prix. Um, My mare had, we had two fences down, but she was really great. So I was very happy.
0: It was really exciting to watch you over the weekend. Can you talk a little bit more about how these classes work? You know, you talked about the speed class how fast are you going? Like, is that a big component of it? And how does it impact how you get over the jumps?
1: Well, you try to go as fast as you can. And you, but at the same time, you have to keep your horse round and not let his like stride, his canter, the gallop get flat. Cause if you're just going like running as literally as fast as you can, without even thinking about a jump, you'll probably knock them all down and scare the horse. So it has to be fast enough while keeping the power and the horse together and ready to jump for you and jump clean. Also, a big component is how short you turn, especially in a small ring like that. You don't have a long time between fence and fence, so there's only so much you can do. So it's a a big component is just trying to land and quickly turn, do inside turns, and stuff like that. Usually most competitions, like the bigger like Grand Prix style competitions, you have one round where you try to keep all the fences up and you have a specific time allowed. So you have to do it inside the time allowed. Otherwise you get time faults. Um, and then anybody who goes clear has to do a jump off, which is a shorter course in which you have to do as quickly as you can and keep all the fences down and that person wins the class.
0: I'm glad you talked about your sort of attitude about going into it, because I think I read somewhere that you went into the competition with every run being a speed class. Can you talk a little bit more about what that means?
1: Yeah. It kind of depends on what horse you're on. The sport is very specific based on each partnership that you have with a horse. It's not just about yourself. And that's one of the things that I love the most is just being able to connect with your horse. So with my horse, uh, with Monty, for him he's an older horse he's 12 he's very experienced but he like he likes to go fast cuz he it's like when you're going really fast you don't have a moment to like take a breath and like think like oh i did this wrong or oh i'm
0: um, no you just have
1: to act and i think that really helps him too because he doesn't get like lazy so i treated both classes as if they were both a speed even though one was a speed and one was a power and speed just because surprising him a little bit like charter turns like it just keeps him together and it keeps him thinking and it keeps me thinking as well and yeah and i think for me that really helped
0: i love the idea of your horse getting bored (laughs) yeah
1: (laughs) he does though he's like a monty is he's a very very special horse for me he's like a gentle giant he's really big he's over 18 hands which is wow I don't know. He's like probably like 18.2 or 18.3 or something. But he's like a gentle giant because he doesn't know how big he is. So he'll just like nudge me and I'll literally fall because he's so strong. And he'll like push into me or whatever. But he's very special. He he needs so much attention. He's so spoiled. He's the most spoiled horse in the barn. And he'll like (laughs) yell at you if you go past and not pet him or don't give him any attention. Yeah, so he has to have like the best stall with three windows where he can look at my groom so he can always have attention. And anytime anybody goes in the barn, they have to say hi to him. Like it's this whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> like, I know the funniest thing is if you don't, if he doesn't get enough attention, he's right by where we turn the water on for the horses. So he'll turn it on, and that will flood all the stalls because no. if the water's on. <laughs> like even though each faucet is not on, it'll start dripping. So <laughs> all the well, stalls will start to get flooded. I don't know. He's he's ridiculous,
0: but I really love him. That's great. And, and you mentioned how much you love him and what he, how special it is. You know why? What 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 about him? Has I don't know. Why do you love him so much?
1: Well, for starters, he was the horse for me. Like, I think every rider has one horse that, like, gets them to the top and gets them jumping very competitively. And I started jumping with him, like, a meter 20. And then in, like, less than three months, we were jumping our first meter 50. And he's just the safest horse I've ever been on. And he has such a big heart and he always tries his best like i know i'm going to be okay no matter what course no matter if i'm scared if every everybody's like getting eliminated or retired like i know if i go with him i'm going to be okay and i've never had that feeling before i've always sometimes been like a little uneasy but he's always been so perfect and every time that i get a little jumped loose cuz he jumps very hard sometimes trying to be careful, he will like immediately on landing, like lift his head up and go wherever he feels my body weight is shifting to make sure that I stay on. Like knock on wood, I've never fallen off of him in over three years. And that's like big.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. When you got him, how much did he know? And how much did you need to train him?
1: I got him when he was Eight, like in november and they uh and his birthday is in may so um he was like november 2017 when i got him and he had done some 145 classes up in spruce and but not done that much like 145 was the biggest he had jumped but although in spruce like it's it's big and he won a class there and and then I got him, and we just started building up, and we did our first 150s together, our first 155s, and our first 160s. Um, got certification for Pan Am Games, jumped the Hampton Classic Grand Prix. I don't know. He's just he's my heart horse, and I love him with everything
0: I have. So how do you train your horse, and how do you train yourself to go from you know 1.2, as you said, up to the 1.5 meter?
1: Well, everybody has their own ways to train. With Chris, we've never jumped big at home. He does technical courses at home for us to practice, but they're not big. Why? Because his theory is that why would you waste jumps at home, jumping big when you can get just as much jumping small and lower the intensity of the jumping for the horse. Because horses know how to jump at this point, like unless you're training like young, young horses. So you want to get them to understand the technicalities and you can make a small course technical. So we lower the impact for the horses and we focus more on the details, on getting the right distances, getting the right pace, the right canter for those to get the striding, focusing more on the technicality of jumping a jump well and as best as you can more than jumping big there are other schools where you jump bigger at home and that's what I used to do in Latin America when I was in Chile was to jump bigger at home so then you would get to the show and the jumps wouldn't look as big so at first it was a shock to me because I was like I'm jumping a meter 10 meter 15 and then I'm going to the show and jumping a meter 40 and I was like oh like they look huge but there's something about the way that you train. That it just feels like you can do it when you go to the show and and Chris has been such such a good coach for me. Like we started by working in all of the details of me first and then focusing on the horse, like making sure I have the right position, the right release for the horse to be able to stretch well over the jump but have the right support. There are all these little things that you don't really realize until you start breaking it up.
0: Yeah, that's so interesting that basically Chris is sort of establishing the fundamentals Mm -hmm. to get you to that jump, and then he figures you're going to get over it.
1: Yeah. The question that I always get asked by friends that are not equestrians is, how do you make a horse jump? Do you like leg them and then they jump? Like, How do they know where? But what we do is we make the distance to have the horse be at the correct place and then like they have to do the jump themselves. Like, it's not like we tell them like now. It's more like we nurse them into the right distance. You know, like if you like ever have walked as a kid and like seen a line and like don't touch the line. So you kind of like measure your steps to not touch that line. That's what we do, but with a jump. So we measure the distance to get to that jump. And then the horse has to jump and we have to stay On the horse and be as disruptive as possible over the jump
0: that's cool i've never heard it described that way i love that (laughs) thanks yeah and talk a little bit more about you know when you get to the show or even when you're training and and practicing these courses what do you do when you go into it and see it for the first time and what are you looking for and what are you looking to prepare for
1: okay so when i go to the show we get to walk the course beforehand but the horse doesn't get to see any of the jumps or anything so we get to go in and we have usually around 30 minutes to walk the course every step that you take is a meter and four meters is a one stride about four meters is one stride So you walk the course, and what I do specifically is I try to walk the exact path that I'm going to do with my horse. Some people just go up to the jump and just be like, okay, one, then you walk and it's a six, and then they cut the turn and just go straight to the jump. Like I walk exactly what I'm going to do. So I come in, I'm going to show my horse this, this, so I walk that. And I'm going to start on like my left lead, let's say, turn around and get straight. I get up to the jump, visualize me jumping it, then move on. And that way I get a very clear picture of the course in my head. So then when I do my visualization before going in, it's like I'm just doing it over in my head. Like I also sometimes do the movements of me holding the rein, kind of like leaning forward. Because all of that just gets you more prepared for when it's actually going to happen. And then, yeah, so we walk the course. And the first thing is to be like, okay, this is a six stride, a seven stride, a short four, a three, whatever. And then at the end, you recap and you also kind of look at, there's so many factors. I'm trying to explain all of that at once. So in a triple bar, you kind of have to do a distance that goes a little closer than where it's a vertical or an oxer. Like you have to ride the distances differently. A vertical is more careful. So you have to have more support. An oxer, you kind of have to ride a little bit more the back. So it all depends like how the jump is like if it has something that can be spooky you might have to like get there differently so you have to plan that it's not just being like jump this then short six because let's say you have a triple bar so you have to like ride up to it a little bit with more pace and then get a round fence so then the short will be nice but if it's a vertical then you have to write it differently, you know, and it kind of like affects the way that the jump is. If it's spooky, you probably have to put more leg in. So it kind of affects the whole course. And also the thing about courses, it's a lot harder to jump a course than to just jump one jump, because when you jump one, they're not connected. You have nothing after, after that. So that's difficult, because if you have a jump after another, You have to not anticipate the other jump because then you're going to forget about the first one to jump the first one. But it's like in the air, you have to think about, okay, I jumped it this way. So it's going to affect my distance to the other one that way. And what do I have to do now? So it's a sport that you have to be like thinking in in the moment and present at all times. So going back, circling back to walking the courts after walking once and seeing like kind of the strides and then you go into more detail about again like how you think the horse is gonna react to different fences how the turn is if there's a spooky corner like they might lean in so that'll shorten your distance but then after that you also have to think that okay this is what I think may happen but it might not happen so it's a sport that you have to want well, like any you have to think in the moment and kind of ad-lib like the and the grand Prix. I jumped a triple bar and it was a widish seven strides to a vertical. And I jumped the triple bar with enough pace and then my mare went left on me, so shortened the distance. So I quickly ad-libbed and did six instead of seven because I thought the seven was going to get too stuffy and I might have it down.
0: When you were talking about the oxer and the three bar and the vertical, were you meaning that the spread of the jump determines where you need to take off.
1: Yeah, it does.
0: Okay. I'm trying yeah. to think about, you know, like when I would jump, what would happen if I were just jumping up and over something small versus something wide.
1: Yeah, because if it's yeah, if it's a vertical like you have to I guess it's more like if it's an oxer, you have to go at it with pace, like think about the width. So kind of, like a distance that's a little further away. Um, if it's a vertical you jump it a little more like with more support just because the horse has to go up you have to think about the up more than the out you know right 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 it's kind of difficult I've never tried to put this into words so (laughs) it's actually more difficult than I thought it was so after I walk the course and then I talk about it with Chris or whatnot I go in and ride, and there's a warm up ring. And in the warm up ring, you get a fence. Now, we usually start jumping when there's four horses ahead of us that have to go yet. If you do about an estimate, each horse takes about two minutes between them getting in the ring, jumping, coming back out. So, you try to go four ahead. So, you have at least from like eight to 10 minutes to jump the warm up because their warm up, there's usually only three or four fences and uh, different trainers have different tactics on how to go about it and it also depends on the course like if the course has a scary liverpool which is this like plastic thing that you put at the bottom of the jump so it kind of looks like and you put a little water so it looks like there's water underneath it so if a course has one of those and it's scary you take a like blue yoga mat and uh, you put it underneath a jump so that the horse like like jumps it in the warm up before you go in the ring
0: unless oh, wow. your horse has
1: no problem with it then it's fine and then yeah you do your warm-up and then after you do your warm-up and they call you like next then you go in the ring and that's when you do your thing you know but it's interesting because the rider gets to look at the course look at the turns plan ahead but the horse just goes in and that's why you really have to know your course because the horse has never jumped it before
0: right
1: and every course is different i've never repeated a course
0: Do your horses know that they're competing? I assume they do.
1: Yeah, they do. Like they get, like it depends on the horses, but most of mine get like excited and like they come out of the trailer into the show and they like make themselves bigger and like they're like, (laughs) And uh, so, yeah, they know when it's game time.
0: That's cool. Mm hmm. Are you a book lover? I've added some more great books to my recommendation list and to the guest recommended book list. In Marathon Woman, Catherine Switzer writes her personal story about getting the women's marathon into the Olympics. A really exciting read for female runners and followers of sports history. In this episode, Gabby mentions The Golfer's Mind, a book about the mental challenges of golf, which she adapts to her own sport, as you can do too. Recently, I ordered some books myself from Bookshop, and it's such a super easy and absolutely pleasant experience. And any time you order from Bookshop, you are supporting Hear Her Sports, and I thank you so much for that. The podcast takes time, and it also takes money for hosting, recording, and other tech needs. Thank you for listening and for keeping us going. Find us at hearhersports.com slash books. So yeah, I want to talk a little bit about fitness because you make all these really great videos on YouTube about getting fit. Yeah. When and why did you start making and sharing those videos? Well, I've
1: always been into fitness, but when I switched my mentality between just being fit, because like I wanted to look good and be thin or whatever, and I started training with Chris actually, and he told me, he said, you need to get stronger. And I was like, oh, but I like work out every day. Like, what is, he's like, no, you need to get stronger. Like, if you want to jump big fences, like you need to get stronger. And that was for me, like a reality check. Like, okay, do I want to do this sport professionally or do I want to worry about looking model thin and like all of those insecurities that girls, like, I mean, guys too, but especially girls have when they're young. And I actually battled with an eating disorder for a big part of my life. So that for me when I switched that mentality it helped me a lot and it still took me years. That's when I really started focusing on like training and worrying about my fitness to get stronger to be able to jump bigger to stay on my horse to I don't know be able to be there more cuz you it's a sport that you have like it's surprisingly difficult to like manage these horses and like stay on when they jump hard and like you have to work on your balance like you don't have that much to hold on to it's not like you're strapped it's just your stirrups and the power that you put on your legs and the way you use your hands so it's it's a lot I started doing the fitness videos actually when quarantines began because I always did different types of workouts all the time with trainers between personal training yoga pilates I've tried every workout and I've I've really liked it. But with when quarantine hit and we couldn't go to the gyms, I just started building my own workouts and thinking about what I wanted to get strong and what I thought I needed to work on and doing some research. Then I started doing lives because also other people couldn't work out and go to gyms either. So they got really into it and it seemed easy to just turn on your computer whenever and get in. And then they asked me to upload the videos to YouTube in case they couldn't make the lives. And that's when I started doing that.
0: Well they're really good and you obviously know what you're doing. So it's
1: it's (laughs) great.
0: It's years of practice. (laughs) So how did your body change? I mean what were you in what way did you need to get stronger for show jumping? When I was little,
1: like I always had a thin body type then like because I had an eating disorder and I was worried about just being thin and what I was eating like it also took a big toll on me mentally I think I would have been much better earlier on in my years if I hadn't been so worried about being skinny I mean I don't like to regret things but if I could change that I would definitely have taken more advantage of that and not be thinking because it's something that takes over you so you're just thinking about it all the time whereas now I'm thinking about my horses and that really gets me in the game so I mean my body type now is very athletic like I just everywhere I needed to get stronger I had no muscle I, I mean I had I was probably like I was as tall as I am now but like 20 kilos less like so and that now that I built it with muscle and it's just totally different feeling. I mean, my energy-wise, everything, it just completely changed. I think a big thing is obviously, like, cardio-wise, people think it's not that important because you're just there for, like, what, two minutes or one minute? Yeah, it depends on the horse. Sometimes one doesn't even make you sweat, but you do have to have, like, endurance. You do have to be strong, too, when you have to, like, take a horse or, like, put your leg on and it's just it actually requires a lot more strength than people think. I actually always tell this story about one of my best friends. She always thought like writing was so easy. And then I took her one day to take a lesson. It was like a beginner's lesson. And then she didn't get out of bed for like two days because everywhere she
0: was so <laughs> sorry.
1: And I would just laugh at her because I thought it was the funniest thing. And she was like, I'm sorry, I'm never going to tell you you're not doing anything up there. It was so funny.
0: I'm glad you mentioned that because I have ridden before and people always ask me what you know, like, is that a sport? That's not a sport.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, if I don't ride for a couple of days, and then I ride again, like I'm sore, my especially my inner thighs, my legs, yeah, my core. And that's like a big thing that I that I always like to work on is working on my balance, stability, working on my core. When I work out, and then I ride, I feel tighter in the saddle. Like I don't feel like loose and like, I feel like one with the horse when I'm, when I myself feel fit and strong.
0: Right. Do you remember when you're like, what happened or how it happened that your attitude about your body and about being strong changed? Like what was the switch that flipped?
1: It took a few years. Like Chris told me that. And then I started working on my fitness more and going to like a personal trainer, but it's still I was still battling with an eating disorder and then I went to college and it's hard not to battle with an eating disorder in your freshman year and then I think just like the more I got into riding the more I was appreciating the sport the more I was spending time less with like friends of college and stuff like that I mean it also kind of like it depends on how what type of people you surround yourself with um but when I was riding and just focusing on My horses and i i I can't tell you it was like an immediate thing but slowly my mentality started switching and i started to actually treat my body like an athlete treats its body like nurturing it and loving it and being amazed by the things it can do and i just think i guess the more i the more i because i work a lot on on my mind and uh, my mentality and I read a lot of books about it and I think just that and watching documentaries of different athletes watching again podcasts and stuff like that it just got me thinking about how like what do do I want like how badly do I want to be a professional show jumper and if it is as bad and I want to get to the goals I want to get to like I can't I can't have the other mentality. It's no point. And also my life is so much more fulfilling and happy now that that's not taking over every single thought that I have every day, you know?
0: Well, that's great. Congratulations. (laughs) Thanks. (laughs) And I definitely recommend everybody who's listening to go check out your videos. I think they're awesome. (laughs) Thank you. You talked a lot about what you do off the horse, like the kind of training that you do for yourself off the horse. I saw, for example, that you said that you journal and you meditate and Mm -hmm. you do yoga. And like, Mm -hmm. how do you incorporate all that?
1: Over the years, I've just been doing small things. For me, a big thing was like writing stuff down, just to like take it off my chest and then stop thinking about it. When stuff goes wrong, like it's fine to feel at least for me, it's fine to feel frustrated for a bit, like deal with it, but then you have to like move past it and focus on the present. Like there's no point in keeping those thoughts because then they're just going to hinder your progress. That's how I started journaling. I actually started doing a blog. Um, It was called My Ride and Balance. It all started with like talking about the frustrations and uplifts of show jumping and how sometimes you're doing super well in a round and then something goes wrong and you fall and everything's like, it's over. You're eliminated. Like no point. It served as an out for me to talk about it. Cause I, I didn't like talking about it with people like, oh yeah, I did badly in a competition. Like just, it hurt my ego and it hurt my, my confidence. So I'd like tried to avoid it. Be like I just didn't go that well. Like I hated it. I didn't know how to accept that that was just part of Learning the learning progress, and so I used it as an out and I spoke about things when it went well, and but mostly when it went badly. And that moved on to me journaling. I journal, I write down everything that I do every day in the sense of with my horses like what I'm training on this day, like if the vet came, what did the vet say, like when I'm gonna ride a course. There was a time where I would draw every single course and go through it and write it down everything I would do because for me it was hard to do a visualization and it's still sometimes difficult because I would start visualizing and for some reason I, I would keep on like having an image of me like messing up instead of like visualizing the positives but when I was writing I could like control that more so I would write it first and then I would visualize it and sometimes I don't know why it's just it's kind of like like when I'm driving a car and you're driving in the defensive and you kind of like think, oh, if I mean, at least for me, it happens. So oh, if that truck for some reason were to like stop really short now, like I'm too close. So this would happen. So it's like kind of like that in my visualization, I got to be like, oh, like visualize a fall or a stop. I would have to open my eyes and be like, stop. Now I have more control, but sometimes it does happen and I just kind of stop and start again. When I'm preparing for a class, especially if I'm nervous or a little anxious, I write it down. I write down like what I need to remember, what. So if I like walk you through what I do when I'm prepping, I think that's going to be a little more linear. So after I walk the course and I'm waiting, I have like my routine. I polish my boots. I put on my helmet. I put on my show jacket. Then I go over to my horse. Um, where my my groom is holding my horse my groom is like the horse handler that's what we call them and I like do my stretching and then I close my eyes I do my visceralization of how the horse is going to ride and exactly what it's going to be if I'm nervous beforehand I like write in my journal or like if I just want to remember certain things and I remember I like point down Things that I have to remember around the course, depending on the horse, like, let's say with Rocky, I have to make sure that I keep a soft hand, but I keep my leg on all the time, especially in combinations. I have to give her a confidence round, da-da-da, and then I write, like, a little message to myself, like, like, you got this, you are fully prepared to do this, and, like, go out and go clear and jump the best you can do, like, ride to ride great. That's actually, I got a quote, that quote from Bob Robtella, who wrote, Golfer's mind, and one of the things he said was, either it was with putting or golf. It was like golf to golf, great. Don't golf to golf poorly, or or it was putt to putt, great. Don't putt. Some one of those. But I like immediately switched it to like jump to jump, great. Don't jump to jump poorly. So I like go in with that mentality. So yeah, I just write little messages for myself. Then I I go to my horse, do my stretching, my visualization, and all that gets my mind and my body ready to ride then I actually have never told anyone this but I go up to my horse I pet them and I said like in Spanish actually I say and cuidémonos which means like let's take care of each other and I (laughs) it's kind of like emotional to talk about but i say that like in their ear and like look at them and pet them it's like my little ritual and then I get on and while I'm warming up I take a second to do this exercise that like my mind is a box and like, what do I want in my box right now? What do I not want first? Like, okay, I'm going to grab my insecurities and take them out. I'm going to grab the fact that let's say the chef, the keep of Chile is here to watch and I'm going to take it out. Like I don't care. I'm going to grab that. um, My friends came to see me and they want me to do well. I'm going to grab it and put it out. I'm going to grab like, i don't know anything that's like not useful i take it out of the box and i put it in a bag and i like shove it out of my mind and then i put in everything that i want to be in the box so i put in the course i put in little reminders the same that i wrote down like okay with i have to uh, remember to keep your heels down remember to push on the horse's neck and the jump remember to breathe in this and this part of the course like just little reminders and then after that, I'm warming up my horse. Um, obviously, I go over my course a couple times and then I start warming up. So that's kind of like a whole ritual that over the years I've been building on and just thinking about it. And then I also do breathing exercises if I feel like I'm not calm enough or I just want to get my focus in. I start there's different ones. So there's one where you start, you breathe In for two, then you breathe out for four. You breathe in for three. You breathe out for six. You breathe in like for seconds. For four seconds and out eight. That's how you get your body relaxed. Because when you're thinking about your breathing, when you're thinking about being in the moment, you're not worried. You're just feeling. Like you're not thinking. You're actually just feeling your breath and your body. And that's what you need when you go in the rain. You don't want to be thinking and worrying about fences. You want to be in the moment and just riding with feeling. So yeah, and then I start warming up and then I go on the course. And at any point I feel like I need a little reminder, I go back to my breath. Yeah. It's, it sounds it sounds like you work really hard. I I have been trying to. It just kind of like seems I was thinking about this the other day with everything with working on myself with my horses and just trying to get better and better. It feels like over the years, and especially over these last seven almost eight years that i've been here in the states and training with chris it's like i've been working on a puzzle and i was just starting you know how you start with the edges and you can't really tell what the picture is because it's the edges but you can like know that like what the piece is so you start with that and it's like your basics and then you just start putting in more and more pieces and now i feel like i'm starting to kind of see what the picture is like i feel like this puzzle especially in show well in any sport but especially show jumping, because you're learning all the time and anything and it's always different with different courses, different horses that come in your life, because you can't just keep one horse. It's a huge, huge puzzle. And I just feel like right now I'm starting to like see shapes and kind of figuring out what it is, but it's kind of slowly coming together.
0: That's cool. And what are your weeks like? Like let's say you're home training you know, what what is your day like? And how often are you taking lessons or working with Chris? And how often are you doing things on your own? Like mm-hmm. how do you, how does that go?
1: Right now I'm I'm fully training with Chris. So everyone who trains with him keeps their horses there mostly all the time. It's really good to just have one management for the horse. And they and I think Chris Kaplarink is really, really good at getting the right management and keeping the horses sound and healthy. And that's, I think that's one of the things that I would say is the best about the Chris Kapler team because they're really great with the horses. Uh, so I have my horses with that, with him and we get a couple lessons a week. We usually do a no stirrups at least once a week. Then uh, we do a couple of flat lessons, but it's not every day. So he also lets us do like our own thing. Like we're all capable of flatting and working our horses. So I would say maybe I get, if we're not like jumping, maybe like three lessons, at least three lessons a week, two or three. And then if we're jumping, it's more because I jump all of my horses. Right now, I actually am very busy with, I have my two Grand Prix horses and then I have three sail horses. So I have five. So I'm riding from eight to 12 to one. So it's a pretty busy day for me and then yeah like he he watches us a lot when we're flatting too I think I don't know I always kind of think like what is he thinking is he actually like (laughs) judging judging what I'm saying and be like oh I think she should do this more or put more right leg or is he just watching to like see like oh we need to work on this or is he just literally just watching I don't know I've never actually asked him this I feel like I should um but it's not like we get A lesson with every horse every day. I guess it's good when you're like starting to get lessons all the time because you're just learning. But once you know what you're doing, you have to be able to do it on your own too.
0: Yeah. You need some independence for sure. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: I'm glad you mentioned your sale horses. Like, what does that mean? Are you bought them and you're training them and then you'll sell them? Is that the idea?
1: Um, Yeah. So it kind of depends. I own them with business partners, one in Chile and two with two different business partners from Belgium. It depends on the the deal. Like some I got sent and then I trained them and we sell them. Um, And then some I bought part of. And then same thing, train, jump them a little and then sell them here. I'm just starting this business now. So I'm kind of seeing how it goes. But I, I imported one that I tried in Chile when I went. Because I think a big thing in this sport, especially as a female athlete, is like you have to hustle. Like you have to be like, networking and like i got to chile and i texted all of the trainers that i knew and was like hey do you have any horses and then i went and tried them and found this one that i really liked that i thought could be for the american market so i bought part of it and then we brought it over and now i'm training it and seeing how it goes and i have to sustain my career in some way start to get a little more independent from my parents so that's why i'm trying this sale horse business and then Same thing with the other two business partners from Belgium, like I found one and then I spoke to him and then I kept contact and I told him what I want to do. And then he was like, okay, let's, let's do it. Let's go. And it's just kind of like, you have to always be thinking and being, getting creative and being, because when I went to try the horse at Chile, I like tried it. And then I was like, I like it, but like, how about we go into this as a business and not just me buying it and taking it, like I'll buy half or whatever. This is an example, I'll buy half and my costs then get deducted from the sale price and then we split the rest or whatever just depends on what people are comfortable with and what you plan on doing but that's kind of the deal with the three sale horses and that's awesome. the, the three of them are lovely horses so i'm sure they'll find great homes yeah that's awesome
0: people. i love that you're doing that <laughs>
1: thanks What does a show horse cost oh it depends it really 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 depends like i could not tell you a specific but it depends on the level that the horse is jumping. It depends on how competitive the horse is. I don't know, you can find a young horse for thirty thousand in the middle of Europe, or you can buy a Grand Prix horse that went to the Olympics for three million dollars. Like that it is a
0: range. Wow. Yeah. It's it just
1: depends and depends on the market and the horses are getting more and more expensive, which is it's difficult. Um and that's one thing that is different from show jumping to other sports. It's like the horse is a big part of it. So you have to have a horse that's good enough to do it with you. Like, yeah, you have to be good, obviously, but you also have to have good horses. So it's it's hard because there's people that don't have the funds. Um, they have to find other ways either by getting good enough themselves and then getting sponsors or and if, if not, like some people that have a lot of funds are able to get more horses and jump more and then get to the higher level quicker because they have funds to be able to get great horses and then eventually like get really good themselves because they get more practice. Because again, like swimmers or tennis players, like you can be practicing all day as long as your body needs it, but we are on a horse. And that like, I'm not going to train my horse for hours and hours and hours because no, like I have what, one hour a day to train my horse and then make sure he stays healthy and sound and that's it. And then if I don't have more than one horse, which was the case for me for many, many years, then I have to compensate with watching other people, learning from watching and then working on my fitness. But at the end of the day, the more hours you get in the saddle, the more jumps you jump, the better you get. So it's It sometimes can get frustrating, especially if you don't have as much funds as other people that are doing the sport, because, I mean, it would be easier, in a sense, to get there if you had unlimited funds. But I think there's a special thing of getting there with doing it yourself, too. Even with million-dollar horses, like, those people still have to put in the work and they still have to ride and get the horse and get it done of course either way that you get to it i don't think it's uh it takes from the merit because you're still putting in the work you can have a million or billion whatever dollar horse and if you're not mentally ready if you're not physically ready if you just don't have a level of experience like you're not going to get that horse around and clear you know and you get to see that more and more in the higher level too people that go to the olympics those riders ride really well like in the lower levels, the horse can get someone around who doesn't ride as well. But in the higher levels, like everything counts.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Wow. What's the difference between, since you brought it up, what's the difference between the level that you're riding and the Olympic level? Like what are are you going to have to work on to get there?
1: There are five different levels. So there's one star, two star, three star, four star, five star. And then after five star is the Olympics, which is like Bigger than a five star. Up until now, I've done four star grand prix, which is, I believe, a meter fifty five meter sixty. It depends, but usually meter sixty. But in the five star, it's a meter sixty or meter sixty five, and the width of the jumps also is greater, and the technicality and also increases. And then past the five star is the Olympics. This means some of the jumps in the Olympics sometimes get up to one seventy. And the courses are so technical and yeah, they just ride even bigger than it seems. So right now, I mean, I felt ready to go to the last Pan Am Games and um, I feel pretty confident for the ones that are coming up. I just think I need to get more, more results in the three star and four star level and just get more experience, jump more up until a year ago i only had monty to jump the big classes and like i mean as i mentioned like having one horse it's awesome and it's amazing but it doesn't get you that many hours in the saddle and that many jumps every day and now i finally have a string of five and immediately since i started riding more and i mean done with college and everything um, i started just focusing on the horses Uh, I've had my best season so far. Like, it makes such a big difference to be able to just have your focus be the horses every day.
0: And so, what are your goals? I would say, you know, like the next five years, what are you hoping to accomplish?
1: I would love to get top placings in a three star and a four star Grand Prix. I think that would be amazing. I mean, in the next five years, I would see myself jumping a five star Grand Prix, going to the Pan Am Games. And hopefully qualifying for the Olympics that I believe are in France, right? In Paris? Yes. The next ones. So those are my goals. Um, And I don't want to go to like the Pan Am Games or anything like that, like just to go. Like I want to be able to be competitive. Sure, yeah. So I think those are my big, big goals. I would also like to do a World Cup final. I think that would be really cool and jump some of the bigger shows. There's a bunch in Europe and some of the states that I haven't done. Last year, I did the Gold Cup, which was a big goal of mine. So that was really
0: exciting. So it was just bigger shows. And yeah. Well, we have talked for quite a long time. But <laughs> I am going to ask if there's anything else we didn't get to in case there's something that you're wanting to make sure people hear.
1: Um, I think... I think one of the things that we didn't get to, and I mean, your podcast is about women in sports, and I think it's awesome. Is like, it's for me, it hasn't been a struggle in the sense that I feel oppressed as a woman in the sport, especially not here in the States, because there's a lot of women and a lot of strong women in the top placings. But I do have to say that in Chile, it's different. Like, the fact that there hasn't been a woman going to the Olympics for show jumping in Chile since, what, 1972? I think it's something that needs to be changed. And for some reason, women in general don't get to that high of a level. I'm not sure why. Um, I'm not saying it's a thing of the system or anything like that. I mean, I do think in in Chile, it's like I have felt overshadowed a little bit by strong male voices and I've had to stand up for myself like even with people that were like friends with me like I remember and I've told this story to people because it's like marked me it's very in my brain but there was this guy that I used to be like best friends with and he's my age and he's always really really good one time we were going to do the uh, Nations Cup here in uh, Wellington and they they had a team it was four guys he was one of them and I was going in as the reserve no, not because I felt ready or wanted to do the Nations Cup, just because I wanted to get in the four star and jump the speed classes. I, I think I had just had my horse for maybe like not even a year or something, and I was doing really well that season. I won. I was still an amateur, so I won a high amateur class, and then was second in the Classic, finished reserve champion. And after like all of this, we were at a team meeting, and for some reason he felt like I shouldn't have been there, or I don't know. And he says to me, like, I hope you don't think that you're going to, it was something along the lines of, I hope you don't think you're going to be in the nation's cup team because like, you couldn't do that. And I just was like, first of all, I don't want to do it. That's not why I'm here. And second of all, like, you have no idea what I'm capable of. And that's like when one of the things that I'm just like, who in their right mind says something like that to someone else? Like, especially as your peer, as a young athlete, like we were both. 21 or something like that. And that I don't know, it just felt terrible and I feel like I've had and heard lots of stories of people in Chile talking badly about me and I I obviously ignore it like I am not gonna get into that or like like saying that oh I don't even know what they say, honestly, but saying that I'm like not a good at rider enough or stuff like that. instead of supporting and putting people up, like I've always felt like in Chile, it's like, if you're good, it's a bad thing. So you should be like shut down. I don't know. It, it But this never happened to like guy athletes. But it did happen to me. It was mostly female, like girls saying these things and gossiping. And like, yeah, guys got involved too. But it was mostly, I don't know. I, I don't know if there's just like more of a competition. I don't know. But it was just always a shock. And recently, I've, I mean, I've been very not focused on what's going on in Chile but like the dude like the federation and uh people that write stuff about the federation like I have to come to them and be like hi like I'm sure you want to like talk about this I just won this and this like maybe you want to do a note on it whereas with other athletes especially like the big male athletes like somehow they always know and they don't have to come out but I have to go in and say like hi I did this like not sure if you're aware like." <laughs> I don't know. It's just it feels weird.
0: We didn't talk about this either, but do you think it helps or hurts that the men and the women compete together?
1: I think it's really interesting because I think it's the only or one of the only sports yeah in the Olympics, right? Yeah. I don't know if it helps or it hurts or anything. Like I don't I think it turns out to be an even field because it's not about how like strong or fast you are it's more about the connection that you have with your horse and how fast and strong you guys are together so I don't think it like hurts or or anything like that unless like I haven't had a moment that I'm like oh he just won because he's a guy or stuff like that or he does better because he's a guy and he's stronger also there are horses that have like need more of a girl ride in the sense like Usually girls tend to be more soft. I don't want to go into stereotypes or anything like that, But or horses that are very strong and need like a very tall, like strong person. So it's like more of a guy horse in a sense. So it's kind of, I mean, you find your fit with the horses. And I think that makes it, what makes it more equal for
0: guys and girls. So I don't think it's a problem. But I would hate to hear that you're kept off teams because you're a girl.
1: Yeah. I, I a little bit felt like that for the Pan Am Games. I was ranked third in the FBI ranking um, when I qualified for the Pan Ams. And first of all, they said they wanted me to, even though Samuel, which he's a he's the best ranked Chilean athlete, he's here as well in the States, even though he was here, at first they were like, no, you have to come to Chile and do the qualifiers here. And I was like, I'm not gonna go to Chile. Plus like the shows here are much more difficult and important. There's no point of me spending money to take me and my horse over there. And then they were like, okay, we'll just watch your rounds. And I was ranked third and they decided not to take me. I mean, I guess part of the reason according to them was because it was very expensive to take my horse from the States to Peru. But they still took two others horses of the ones that were ranked first and second from one from Europe and one from the States to Peru. Or no, not from the States. I think just one from Europe. I hate to say it, but I do think a little bit was not only because I was a girl, but because I was young. Mm-hmm. I was the youngest one by uh, at least 10 years. And I think there's also a lot of politics going on in the sport. I heard a thing about like, oh, if you don't take this person, this other person won't go. So you have to take this person. So I do, I, I did feel that was very unfair because I, I was again, ranked third, like according to the rankings, I should have been in the team. And then two of the people didn't even make it around. So it kind of felt a little bit like frustrating. So I just said, okay, next time, like, I'm just going to be so good that they won't be able to say no to me. Like it won't be stupid.
0: <laughs> well. It makes it that much more important that you make it to the Olympics. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. It was a real pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. That's it for this week. Sign up for the newsletter to read some additional sport goodies between episodes and send me an email at elizabeth at com. I'd love to know how you get yourself ready for hard workouts or for competitions. Subscribe for free to Hear Her Sports on Apple Podcasts, Overcast, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Remember to join the Patreon at patreon.com slash hearhersports and buy all your books through our bookshop page at hearhersports.com slash books. While 44% of athletes are women, only 4% of the media coverage is about women. Hear Her Sports aims to shift the scale while inspiring women to be their best. This is Elizabeth Emery for Hear Her Sports. Bye-bye. Sports stars. They're like superheroes. But they're actually
1: real. Which is why we've made a podcast about them.
0: You see, they've all got a story. But too many of these stories were cut short. Kobe Bryant. Payne Stewart. Flo jo, Phil Hughes. Justin Fashionew. We're writing episodes about all of them. And sadly, many more. Death of a Sports Star. A new series from Crowd Network.